0: Well, it's actually a big deal, that whole idea of being trustworthy and that issue of authority, Um, something that in discernment, those aren't just big words for kids, those are big words for me in terms of how I process them and live my life. Um, Today, what what I'd like to do with you is invite you um, to not only hear a sermon, but to participate in one. That will come, that will come. Um, What I'm going to do is... We're going to go through, we've been going through as a church, the, the lectionary, which is kind of this common source that not just our church, but hundreds and thousands of churches across the nation and even the world read from. And uh, today's text is found in the Gospel of Mark, today's Gospel reading. There's three texts in the lectionary. So today's Deuteronomy 18, 1 Corinthians 8, and this one, Mark 1, this is the one we'll, we'll get into today. And after, after we kind of read this, and, and I talk just a little bit about kind of what popped for me in this text, I'm going to invite you into this sermon. So be ready. All right? You, you kind of got to know what's happening in order to do that. <laughs> so it's, just, it's just a warning. Um, but before that, let me, let me pray with you. Will you pray with me? God of truth, We believe that you have not only spoken, but that you continue to speak. Reveal your word for all of us and for each of us this day. Open our hearts to receive it. Enlighten our minds to fathom it. Direct our souls to treasure it. By your Holy Spirit, may the reading and interpretation of scripture be for us the very word of God. In Christ's name, amen. So our gospel reading, which is found in the gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Hear the word of the Lord. They, that is the disciples and Jesus, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's nothing quite like a good conversation. I mean a good conversation. I once once had a seminary professor quote this. I'm going to quote it to you. This is what he said. He said, the most intimate thing that two people can do is not have sex. It's to really talk to one another. And I thought about that, and I don't know if I always agree, but for some reason it got stuck in my head, and it got me thinking, you know, um, hmm, what do I think about that? Does it have your attention? Because it surely, it got mine that day. Um, The most intimate thing two people can do is really talk to one another. Because no matter what you think about that statement, um, intimacy has more to do with the soul than it does the body, in my mind. But conversation, be it between two people or eight people, conversation is its a sacred act. I mean like a really good conversation. I'm not just necessarily talking about news, weather, and sports. I realize it's the biggest sporting day of the year. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with sports. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes that kind of talk can get in the way of really being present with one another, right? Now, I get it. Um, like, sports is good, too. I mean just tangent, right? Because it's a cultural event. It connects us on all levels. It's exciting. It's full of surprises. It moves us. And of course, I'm talking about the commercials. <laughs> but to be present, like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm one of those people who I'm like, everybody be quiet. Commercials are on. Um, And I'm I'm present to those commercials, (laughs) like I'm attentive, I'm interested, and and I'm sure you are too, either to the game or to the uh, ads, but to be really attentive to someone, right, that's the kind of conversation I'm getting at, right? Um, It could have been a conversation in your mind like the one you had in college, right, that happened late at night after a card game, (laughs) I went to a private college, (laughs) after a card game and and you started talking and it lasted into the night. Or it could be a conversation over the phone you had, that like, you know, those one, two hour conversations, or over coffee. And it, 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 that kind of conversation that, that you're so into it, it just creates new possibilities for you. It opens things up. That's the kind of conversation I'm talking about. That kind of conversation is a sacred act. But here's a confession it's really hard for me to be present with someone in that kind of conversation. Like, even when I come home and my wife, she loves to share her day with me. And I love to hear it. That's one of the ways she connects. But there's something about walking in the door and her wanting to do that right away that for some reason I can't just like drop. Like the last eight, nine hours are too complicated and too weighty for me to drop at the threshold of the door. So I have a code word or a code phrase. And my code phrase is it's too many words. That's all I say. I just say too many words, too many words. Too many words. And it's because I can't be present. I should ask her what she actually thinks about me saying that sometime. <laughs> but conversation, it, it's also this idea of like too many words. It's also kind of sometimes how we approach the Bible. It's, ah, it's too many words. And, and sometimes when we read the Bible, we're not really present and attentive to the text. We're not treating it like a conversation that's happening on a spiritual level. That's happening deep in the recesses of our brain and in our heart, right? That's not always how we're attentive and how we're approaching the Scripture and really grappling with it and wrestling with it and questioning it and then allowing it to question us. Not like the early church was. I don't know if you know anything about the early church, but this to me for some reason is so fascinating. Like we're talking early, early, like 20 to 30 years after the death ...and resurrection appearances of Jesus. The early church did not have the four gospels like we do. They had maybe, maybe, we don't know what they had. They had maybe the gospel of Mark at that point. But we're not sure. We don't know. They, they probably had a number of stories and sayings of Jesus... ...that were being transmitted orally across different churches... So stories that were being repeated in in synagogues and in churches that were then taken and and used as sort of the sermon to teach them. And those are Jesus stories like we read today in the Gospel of Mark. But we don't know if those were written down, like in in some kind of written document that we don't have anymore, or if that was the Gospel of Mark, or if that was the Gospel of Matthew. We're not sure. There's a lot of hypotheses about what the church had in their hands. But my point in taking you down that road about what the early church had is Chances are, if we, could, if we could go back in time and be in that house, that house church, or, or in that room with the early church, the way they were most likely attentive to the text and in conversation around the story of Jesus would completely floor us. It would inspire us. Why? Why? Because if you're a church in Galatia or Ephesus or Colossae or Jerusalem, twenty to thirty years after the death and the resurrection appearances of Jesus, you're a renegade church in the middle of a massive and gargantuan Roman Empire. And your attention to the Jesus story is everything. Because you have no other roots, no other ties. It's just this this Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his teaching. So you can imagine that if a Jesus story is told in oral form or in written form in the early church, they were dialed in. And they were in conversation around that. Like, who is this Jesus? What is he teaching us? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church? Man, if we could be there, my guess is we would be inspired. It would freshen the way we approach the Jesus story. I want to take you, I mean, I've been able to sit with Mark 1, 21 through 28 for about 12 days now. That story that we just read, I've been sitting with it. And I've been turning phrases over in my head. I've read it in the original language, which is cool. Not bragging, just saying. And like, I've been in conversations, and that, that story has been in my head. And there's something about sitting with a passage for that long. Right? And just being really attentive to every single word and every single phrase. That sometimes it's like a word or a phrase will just pop. As if or I'll be reading it like really slowly and it's as if an invisible highlighter goes over a word and it's like, whoa. And it just it just speaks to my experience. It just speaks to something, or on a deeper, like subconscious level, it just hits me, it just pops. It like wow. that gets me thinking, or it's related to something I've read or something I've heard or a conversation I was in that day. And that experience, I can't—part of what's hard for me is in a sermon, I can't capture that and retell it in a way that it pops for you. can't do it. Uh, it's something, it was something unique to me, but that's, that's the power of, like, really ruminating and being in conversation with the Word of God, is sometimes words can just pop This behind me is a wordle I put together. So I've been in three texts these weeks. Um, The Deuteronomy, the 1 Corinthians 8, and this Mark passage. And the Mark passage is the one that started popping for me. Just words started getting illuminated. So if you were to get a look in what maybe my head looked like when I read Mark, that's kind of what it would look like. Like words that just stuck out or got bolded or got highlighted. That's maybe what it looked like. Uh, I got a messy brain. But that's not the only conversation that happens um, that has been illuminating for me. There's two task forces that I'm a part of here at Trinity. One is called the Sticky Faith Task Force. It's pretty cool. The uh, The Sticky Faith Task Force. What we do is once a month, we come around a table and we ask this question. We ask, what is teenagers' experience of the life of the church? And how does that experience for teenagers connect them to Jesus in a way that lasts beyond graduation? That's a big question, and that is a rich conversation. And the other task force I'm a part of, it's called the Common Language Task Force, and the question we come around at the table once a month is, what is the goal for the spiritual life and how do we know if we're moving toward that goal? And how does Jesus frame how we answer those questions? That's obviously also a really big conversation and very rich. And I'm sitting in the common language task force just this past Tuesday. And we put out, we put out a phrase or a line and we said, okay, here's, we think we've, we've, we think we've come to here's what the goal of the spiritual life is. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> if, if you knew how big that was. <laughs> just a lot of thinking about this. Months and months. But we think we've come to here's the goal of the spiritual life. And like we a couple of people have tried to find language for it. Here it is. And we drop it. Right, I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's not done. But we drop it. And uh, we're sitting and people are like. And one girl, she's uh, one participant. She is a senior in high school. And she was like. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. And we're like, okay, well, why not? Like, So we start talking about, like, okay, wh- wh- what word would you use? And, and why that word? And why not this word? And here's why we used that word or this phrase or this idea. And we talked for it, about that, for about 20 minutes. And then she said this, this same participant, which I quote, because it's so amazing. It was like, yes, it was this. Um, she goes, Wow, that's actually amazing. I like it. (laughs) And then she said this, which this just opened it all up for me. It wouldn't have meant as much, and it wouldn't have jumped out, except that we sat here and talked about it. And I was like, amen. Because for me, for me, the phrase that jumped out of Mark 1 That story about Jesus kicking the demon out, teaching in the synagogue, astounding the worshiping community. The phrase that stuck out for me this past week was this. They kept on asking one another. They kept on asking one another. They were amazed and they kept on. It's like I couldn't get that out of my head. They kept on asking one another. It's like, man, what a beautiful vision of church. Like Jesus has acted Jesus is active in the world, and the church is a worshiping community that gathers and that says, who is this Jesus? And how do we participate in Jesus' mission? Who is this Jesus, and what is Jesus up to? And how do we get our heads around that? Like that, if, if church was as simple as that, I don't know, I just got inspired thinking about what if, what if, not that we don't, but what if a church in the Bay Area in the 21st century, that was the framing question every Sunday, every small group? Who, where, who is Jesus? And how do we follow him? How do we participate with Jesus and what Jesus is up to? What is Jesus up to? They kept on asking one another. Uh, sometimes the Bible is just too many words. And I believe, and I, I think that the revelatory power of Scripture is best found in a community that's in conversation about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So I want to provide you an opportunity right now. Um, you look at this passage, Mark, this Mark 1, 21 through 28. You can open up a Bible. Leslie, if you could get it back on the screen, that would be cool the whole text and just kind of slide by slide, line by line. Um, It'd probably be helpful if you did have a Bible to find it and to read it slowly, like at your own pace, Mark 1, 21 through 28. But this is what I want you to do, is after you've read it and processed it and thought about it, I want you to turn to your neighbor or to your neighbors, could be a triad, or a family of four, or someone you don't know, that might be more fun, and ask yourself this. Oh, this is what popped for me, or, or tell your neighbor this, this is what popped for me, this is what got highlighted, this is what got bolded for me, right now, in this moment. And then, and then say, here's why. Because, you know, and it may be because you don't know, like it just did. And, you know, I think it's it was John Ionesco who said, explanation separates us from astonishment. So if you can't explain why something popped for you, don't feel like you need to. Just say it just did. But maybe you think you know because it relates to something you're thinking about or you're going through or you've read. So go ahead, Mark 21 through 28. Um, read it and then turn to your neighbor. I'll just give you a, we're talking five minutes, and just have a conversation about here's what stood out to me. All right, some of you, I realize, are still talking, and others of you are looking at me like, How much time is he going to give for this exercise? Seriously. Um, so I realize that it's hard to stop a conversation that started and that's probably not finished. And that's one of the limits we have as the contemporary church. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I'm going to ask you to do now is I have a microphone. I have two. I'm dangerous. And one thing I'd like to do is, is if there was any gleaning that you would like to share, either that you shared with someone or that someone shared with you that you were like, oh, that is interesting, would you be so kind to share that with everyone? And just, just tell us what in this conversation was illuminating for you? What in this conversation was revelatory? Does anybody have anything? I feel like I'm looking at my... uh, Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thank you.
1: Um, When I read through it, I think one of the things that really stuck out for me is in like the third sentence, they say, when they're talking about it coming from authority, at the end of the sentence they say, but not from the scribes, which I feel in present day is something that we can all appreciate because we read the word from the Bible, and they're like, wait a minute, we're not just reading from the old testament what what they were reading from at that time but it's coming straight from him that they were there at that time
0: that's cool as it happened yeah absolutely thanks daniel appreciate that it's good thank you sure yeah cross right a little exercise all right thanks dante thank you
1: so, actually, kind of building on that, the emphasis on authority and the comment on the scribes, and there's a return to the um, talking about a new teaching with authority later. To me, it was really illuminating to think about moving away from a textual analysis or almost an academic approach to religion and interpretation. And how it was almost like a fire hose was turned on for these people because they were feeling like direct authority, a direct manifestation of the divine was there. And I think it's very easy in life to to think about interpretations of text and, and what the church's doctrines are and not very easy, at least for me, to engage or to, to search for that direct relationship with the divine authority and with Jesus. So hmm. th- that focus on feeling God directly and having that experience was really really what popped for me.
0: Yeah, good insight and good application. Thank you. Sure.
1: Our group talked about a couple things, but one thing was just the, the power of God and Jesus and just how amazing that was.
0: Um, and another thing that came out was, was a question of, you know, an unclean spirit. What does that look like? It's hard to picture that in this day and age, and what is that about? Hmm. Wow. You have a great voice, by the way. (laughs) Sorry. I I hear what you said, too. Anybody else?
1: In teaching the men's Bible study yesterday morning, I I realized how much these evil spirits really were a part of the Jewish life. And it's amazing to me that the unclean spirits recognized the Holy Son of God before many of the people themselves did.
0: Yeah, that is a great insight. Thank you. Anybody else? One more.
1: those same lines uh, the
0: unclean spirit recognized jesus and he recognized them at the same time and rather than trying to mollify it he addressed it and basically threw him out
1: and for all to see that satan was not going to get a foothold in this congregation at least that day
0: yeah thank you that's great i appreciate that Well, hey, um, it's always a scary thing for a a preacher to give up a microphone. I just want you to know that talk about authority—that's that's—it's frightening. And uh, but one of it's—it's also, you know, I think that's—it's funny on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, as as Dante pointed out, this whole idea of like, who is the scribe here? Who is the one with authority? Is it the preacher? No, it's Jesus, and Jesus is in the gathered people of God. So the conversation and and the sermon really isn't complete until we until we gather around it, until we hear from God. And that's why I appreciate this, and that's why it's a conversational revelation. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for this story, this simple story of Jesus teaching, of Jesus addressing evil, of people being astounded and in wonder about this direct encounter with with God, with the divine. We pray today that that direct encounter wouldn't be lost on us in the contemporary church, that we too would hear your voice, that you would speak to us, and that your authority would dawn on us and help us to follow you in new and creative and more committed ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.